All right, confession time. When I was a pastor working in the church, there were several seasons of my life where I needed counseling. Uh, whether it was just going through some stuff in our marriage or I lost my mom to cancer, there were seasons where I just felt like I, I needed extra help. And there were quite a few times where I was unable to pay for counseling, and so I sought out lay counseling. And even though the church that I worked at had a full lay counseling suite and all kinds of help there, I didn't feel safe going to my church. And that doesn't say anything about my church. I said I think it says something more about the church, or it, it might even say something about me. But where I did feel safe was I actually had to drive 20 miles away to go to another church that had another lay counseling program. And in the back of my head, the fear was, because you might be thinking like, well, what, what's the deal? Just go get the counseling. But the the scene that played out in my mind was that I would be sitting in the lobby of our lay counseling center at our church and either somebody from the church or even worse, somebody from the staff, another pastor would look at me and see me sitting in the lobby there waiting for my appointment. And they would say, brother, what are you doing here? I thought you're a pastor. You're not supposed to be messed up. And it was that scene, whether it was something I really should have feared and probably was something I'd shouldn't have feared. Uh, it was it was a reality that was going on. It was a story that I was telling myself and it was on repeat. And so that forced me to go somewhere else. The guy that we're talking to today, his name is Dan Broyles. And Dan is a pastor, but he's also a therapist. And what is really interesting is that Dan is the guy that all of the other pastors in the community, in the area, and even outside of the community in the area, they will drive and they will find Dan to work out some of the stuff that they're going through. And what I loved about this conversation with Dan was that he said that we really have a lot of trouble processing and grieving our own losses. And if you are a pastor or if you have been a pastor and you're coming out of ministry, you have losses to grieve. You've seen things, you've been through things that have been more difficult than what the average person might be going through. And we don't pause and just grieve some of our own losses. And so he speaks to that. And I think it was an amazing conversation and I'm so thankful to have had it. I pray that this conversation will meet you exactly where you are at. Hey, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. I am here with Pastor Dan Broyles. Dan, good to see you. Great, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so if, if you hear the background noise, we are here at the American Association of Christian Counselors, where we're meeting all kinds of people who uh, are in ministry, but maybe not have the title of pastor. Um, they're doing that from the therapy room, um, but you actually hold the titles of both. You are both a pastor and a therapist. Yeah, so I've been a pastor for years and also a licensed therapist in California. And I feel like I get to go between both worlds and sometimes a translator between the church world and the mental health world. Ooh, okay, so what does that translation look like? Where, where are the points that we need translation? Sometimes there's a, a lot of assumptions off what words mean or intention. And so a mental health group might think, oh, the churches are just doing this because of this. Right. And that's not necessarily true. Okay. And I always think the more there can be curiosity between the groups, the better versus assumptions from a distance. I like that. Okay. So you've been in ministry uh, for how long? Uh, since 2002, I started working in churches. Okay. And what was that experience like and what kind of ministry were you doing as a pastor? So I've been almost all in care ministries, which really means helping people with their relational and emotional challenges. 
And is that just how you're wired? Like, yes, have I, you always been? I love that stuff. I probably at age 15 wanted to jump into this and love in-depth conversations versus superficial conversations. That's just how I'm wired and I love going deep. I have to be careful not to go too deep, too quick in friendship conversations. Uh, you're that guy. Yes, I I'm know that, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that guy though, because <laughs> sometimes people, they just, they just want to like, how you doing? But they don't really care. They actually keep going before you can even answer. And you want to sit in the corner with somebody and have a good conversation. Yeah, I mean, just last night at dinner, I was, there was a few of us hanging out and I asked somebody, can I go deeper with what you just said and ask in a deeper question? <laughs> and they're like, okay. Yeah. But that's just how I'm wired. I love that kind of stuff. Well, and we're here at a conference yeah. and in the back, there's like 5,000 people in this exhibit hall and you and I are tucked away in a corner having a deep conversation. Right. So yeah. it's, I love that about you. That's great. Um, so you're in ministry. Have you ever experienced a transition yourself um, in ministry? Yeah, about four or five years ago, I left a previous church okay. and decided to look for another, another job. I had been at that church since attending and then later serving since I was in junior high myself. Oh. So it was a lot of family roots. This is not a job job. No, this is this like... Just like our family identity. Both my parents have been on staff at that church at some time and a ton of family history. And it's literally part of our roots of our family. I mean, even my biological family, not just church family, because all myself and my parents had worked there and then my brother was supported as a missionary by this church. So it's in our blood. Yeah. So it was a, a tough leave because of all that attachment and connection and relationships. This is not like I'm at Chick-fil-A and I'm just going to go to the other Chick-fil-A on the other side of town. No, not, not at all. No, I, and I probably should have left a year or two earlier than I did. But um, when that's all you know, I've been there since seventh grade. That's all you know. It's tough to go, oh, let's change. And I hear this from quite a few people is, I stayed there two years too long. Right. Um, and so obviously for you, there's there's this attachment of familial. Yep. There's a long time attachment. And sometimes it's like the trapeze artists, you know, at the circus where yeah, yeah. in order for them to go from one trapeze to the next, they literally have to fully let go with both hands and grab right. onto the other one. But in order to let go of that trapeze that you're holding onto, you kind of have to know that there's something else coming, right? That's a fear that keeps us from making that jump. Yeah, and I would say I had to almost grieve the fact that what I longed to do wasn't going to happen. Um, I had to grieve it of what my longings were. And part of my longings is to do creative ministry. And just, it was a different philosophical difference and it just wasn't the right match at that time. And I had to grieve it and then also grieve that the relationships with some people will never be the same. And so that, that just doesn't happen quickly. That's not a, oh, do that over a weekend. It's not a lever or no, switch. No, it's not a switch at all. It's a slow process. Tell me about the process of grieving in ministry as a pastor. Yeah. You are, so you have moved on and you're still a pastor, but yeah. you're a pastor in a different spot. Yes, yes. And you're doing care ministry yep. uh, in that spot. But I, my sense is that, that the pastoral community does not grieve well. No, pastors are, I would say, traditionally not great at grieving their own losses. Yeah. 
They're really trained, equipped to come alongside families when they're grieving, a loss mm. of a loved one, a funeral, a memorial, all those things. But to grieve what you hope in a role, what you hope your church does, to grieve friendships that maybe weren't quite what you thought they were, to grieve how your church affects your family. Like that's a lot of emotional stuff that it feels like most pastors go to a cognitive place. Like, okay, what's my next step? What do I need to do? Yeah. But there's a lot of grief and loss involved. What do you think like that, the, the inner voice of a pastor of like, okay, I can't go there because I have to be this person for this person. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, I'm feeling something uh, as I'm talking to this person, but I'm here to be the pastor. Yeah, yeah. And whatever my preconceived notion of what that role looks like with mm -hmm. that person, I now have to live into that and maybe shut down yep. part of my heart that's actually feeling something. Yeah, it's it's part of your heart. Or part. Of, like for me, it felt like some of my gifting couldn't be utilized anymore. Okay. And I've talked to other pastors where it feels like you went from a calling to more of a job. And that's a huge shift. And I, and I tell most pastors, if if it goes from a calling to a job, something significant needs to change. It can't stay that way long-term because uh, it's way more than a job. Yeah, and, and that, that is the issue, right? It is yeah. way more than a job. So when we have these transitions, uh, it's not just finding another job. No, no, I'm all. just gonna go to another church community because, right. and it's not just you, right? Like if I'm a truck driver, right. I could just go get in another yeah. truck, different company, but it's really uprooting your spouse, yes. your kids, that, that community. Yeah, it's so much of who I am dictates where I go. Yeah, that's good. So if you're switching jobs from one retail store to another, you're not thinking, oh, emotionally, how's this gonna affect my kids and their friendships? Or I wonder how my wife's gonna feel about this loss here and this addition here and affecting her spiritual life. You're just like, oh, does it pay the bills? Fit right. my schedule? It's not right. a long commute? Okay, I can switch that retail job. Yeah. But as a pastor, there's all these other layers that uh, make it more complex. Yep. Now, I'm curious, uh, one of the things that we talked about was that you're, you are a pastor at a church, but you have other pastors from other churches in the area that are finding you. What are those conversations like? I feel like it's a place of, I need relief that I can talk about reality because there's hardly any other place on the planet that I can talk about what's really going on instead of my head and my heart, that I don't, I don't know where to go with it. Because I've had pastors say, if I go to your typical therapist, they might not get church culture, but I can, I can't go to my coworkers, I can't go to my boss who's a senior pastor or my elders or whatever the church system is, so I have all this reality inside of me that I don't know where to process. And some of them don't even want to process it completely with their spouse because it feels like they're adding more stress to their spouse. Like yeah. their spouse can't be their complete counselor. Yeah. They just, because they're grieving themselves, they might've checked out of that church already emotionally themselves. And so they don't know where to go and it fuels such loneliness. It's an interesting place to be though, because five minutes ago we were talking about how 
the church is a family, uh-huh. the church is a community. But when I have something going on myself as a pastor, I am not going to that family. I am not going to that community. I've got to find it up the road somewhere else. Yeah, and I, I really believe wholeheartedly every pastor needs, it doesn't have to be a lot of people, one, two, three friends outside their church community that they connect with on a real just human level. I think it's absolutely a necessity because most pastors, there's this mindset of being on when you're doing ministry. Yep. And when you're on, you don't know what, how to communicate your needs. But there, I would say pastors are people first and pastors second. But that gets blurred really quickly and your pastor first and person second. Right, yeah, our identity, our calling, oh, our job, all of this. It's all intertwined, it's like a it's, big ball of yarn, it's yes, knots. It's a pot, it's all mixed up and Absolutely. we're just trying to, like I'm still sorting some of that out <laughs> myself. Um, what do you say to somebody who's just uh, on the brink um, and they're at that place of, I don't know what's next, but I'm stuck here, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, I Philosophically, maybe a different approach to ministry, like. How do, you, how do you come alongside somebody who's listening? Because what I'll say is pastoral transitions, while we do help people who are in transition, we also, at times, we wanna tell people like, actually, you probably just need some better resources. Um, you might not need to transition. We're not just trying to get people out of yeah. their ministry role, but what do you tell somebody to give them hope in that space? Uh, I would actually say to start that your needs as a human matter. I think there's almost like this brick wall that goes on with what are their needs as a human. They might need rest physically. They might need friendships outside of their church. They might need to do their devotions and not think about a future sermon. They might need to connect with their spouse and not talk about church. Yeah. But most pastors, I would say, end up be, like getting their master's degrees in other people's needs and become junior hires with their own needs. So that's that's just our identity and and there's always needs around us. So it just becomes easier to what's the need of my next church service or my next counseling appointment or my next ministry assignment that I almost turn that part of my humanness off. Yeah. And I'll ask, what are your needs? And they'll look at me like, huh? Huh? Like, <laughs> you're speaking Russian to me right now. That's right. I don't have needs. I help you with your needs. What are your needs? And so I just start start, start there. Yeah. And then I also almost debrief them and go, how is your church impacting you as a human lately? What's the impact? And it's then usually tears. Oof. There's usually tears. And I find that those tears are not far below the surface. No. And then they feel guilty that their tears equal betrayal of their church. To say anything negative about their church equals betrayal. And so they then have this sadness and betrayal and relief all going on at the same time in the conversation with me. Uh, So when's the book coming out, Dan? This is good stuff. I love that. That that is, there is such a, a loyalty and yes. it's a, I, I remember when my wife was pregnant, we went to the doctor one time and my wife wasn't feeling great and we were concerned about the baby because right. my wife wasn't feeling great. And the doctor, I remember the doctor said, oh no, the baby's fine. 
the baby will take from you all it needs. It will drain every last right. drop while the baby's in utero. And we, what we don't know is it'll actually do that after the baby's born too. Yeah. <laughs> but they say that the, the baby will just take everything that it needs. Um, so as, as the mom carrying the baby, sure. you've got to actually take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of similarities, I think. Oh, ab absolutely, absolutely. And so just there's such a, a loyalty issue that almost can get in the way of thinking clearly about what's my next step. Uh, Dan, you have uh, your, your private church community yeah. and you also have a nonprofit. If people want to get connected with you, how do they do that? Sure, yeah, the, the nonprofit is called Saga and Saga is a bridge builder between the mental health world and the church world. Love it. And so we are equipped being therapists to be more Christian in their counseling. And we're just getting ready to launch some stuff to help pastors do better with their counseling skills. That's good. And so we want to bridge those gaps in those relationships because there's a lot of times there's very similar roles, but a lot of times they're not working together for the same person. That's good. And where, where do we find Saga? Sagacenter.org is the website. Okay, I'll drop that in the notes. And then uh, the church community that you're part of. Yeah, so it's Valencia Hills Community Church. We're about an hour north of downtown Los Angeles. Cool. And what's the website? It's ValenciaHills.com. Cool. Well, it's good to know that you're part of a church community that values this. Um, for, for people, will you just speak to somebody as we close out um, who is in a church community? They might be very lonely. They might be the only person on staff or there's a couple people, but they're not part of a larger community of, yeah. of somebody that can care for them. What would you say? I would say make it a goal that you connect with someone in a genuine way that's not connected to your church. It could be that friend from seminary, a counselor, someone you trust, because loneliness will fuel not just discouragement, but often depression. And the need to connect has to be almost in conjunction with the needs of the person. Mm. So what happens is, because the needs are so squashed, they're, you're drowning in loneliness. And so I would say, to almost model for your congregation without them even knowing it, what you'd want them to do when they're lonely and isolated. When that person from your congregation comes to you and says, I don't have any friends, what do you do? You become their advocate for connection. Yeah. Be an advocate for your own connection, for your own heart before God and your own soul. I've been there. I remember just being deer in the headlights. Somebody yeah. asked me one time, well, Matt, what do you need? And it's like, I have absolutely no clue. As if I've ever asked myself that question, right. you know, besides like dinner, right? right, but right. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> well, thank you for the conversation. Yeah, That's well, good. thanks for having me. Thanks for what you guys are doing for ministry leaders and stepping in to those tough places for, for people. Yeah, well, we appreciate you and, and the work and this is all going for the kingdom, right? Absolutely, praise God. Yeah, thanks, Dan. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast. Our mission is to help you navigate the complexities, the joys, and sometimes even the beautiful moments of life after ministry. 
Whether you're a ministry leader thinking about a transition or a stakeholder in the decision-making process, we hope these conversations bring you both clarity and comfort. And we believe that any transition can really be a gateway to transformation and that there's not just life after ministry, but there's also ministry after ministry. If you found value in today's episode, consider subscribing to this podcast and don't hesitate to share it with anyone that you think might benefit. The journey is sacred and we're committed to walking alongside you, providing resources, encouragement, and a community where stories are heard and valued. And until next time, keep leaning into these opportunities, these transitions, these transformations, and the challenges that come with life after ministry.